0: you know there's so many ways to to get to your end goal to not get hung up so much on the process as much as the final destination
1: i love a story with a happy ending maybe it's because i'm a true romantic I'll just say it's part of my charm. I'm really glad I got to meet Michelle and let her share her story, partially because of the happy ending, but also because her story is so much about the process. There was a lot of things that happened in the process throughout her journey. And this is how life works. You can plan and prepare and desire with all your heart for something in particular, but you don't get to know what happens in the end. I do think, though, that those people who have the most tenacity and a heart full of love, well, it's funny how things work out for them. I think the universe listens. No, I believe that for sure. Here's Michelle's story of so much heartbreak, her continued hope, and her happy ending. I'm here with Michelle, and... She has a really amazing story that I'm super excited to hear.
0: You know, like most women my age in their 30s, you know, after they got married, um, was looking forward to starting a family. And it was something that I had always assumed that I would be a mother. I never, the funny thing is, is I never pictured myself being pregnant, but I always pictured myself a mother.
1: Oh, that's um, interesting.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know why I just maybe too many horror stories of long, drawn out labors really <laughs> turned me off. To, so you didn't to want to imagine right, that part right, anyway. Right. <laughs> so my husband and I decided to to start and um, realized quickly that it wasn't as easy as some of my friends and a lot of people say and we had a lot of difficulty Um, you know conceive him and after six months we went to the doctor and they did some test original testing and you know found out that um, everything was okay with my husband and that they told us to keep on trying and so for another six months we kept on trying and then after that because of me being in my 30s mid 30s they sort of put us on a fast track for fertility, you know sort of some infertility studies and they um, mentioned the couple of things that we could do so when you get to the point where you try for a certain amount of time there sort of becomes a fork in the road and so, so what you can do is you can go down the IUI path, which is interuterine insemination so essentially I call that kind of like somebody given, the sperm a ride and, <laughs> right. and dropping them off at the door, and then but it's up to them to get in and and you know work their magic, um, or we could try IVF, which is kind of you know bringing them in and introducing them to the family and sort of. Um, I love you your know. description. I know. Well, so much better <laughs> than the doctor version. <laughs> um, you know, or there was adoption, and so you know those options were laid out. Um, as well as the price tag for all of them, which, when you think of family planning, you think of saving for college and childcare. As we were talking, um, you never think about the expense to actually get you to the point where you're gonna be able to even think about any of those costs. But we were there at thinking about how are we going to afford this? How are we? What are we willing to spend? And the hard thing is that there was never a guarantee there was no outward reason why I wasn't getting pregnant and through all this the end result was just for me to get pregnant it wasn't to find out why I was having trouble or why I couldn't but um, it was just to get pregnant so my husband and I tried we sort of gave ourselves a limit for the into uterine inseminations, which were fairly less invasive. Mm -hmm. It just consisted of sort of tracking my cycle. It consisted of um, when I got a positive ovulation test to give myself an injection. okay, And then the next day to go into the office with a sample from my husband, which I usually tucked under my bra to keep it warm for the half hour Mm -hmm. ride. Um, And then sitting in an office where they sort of did the insemination in the office. And so we tried that six times. And yeah. Oh my goodness. And I just, yeah, no, I always forget that people can't see me in my, I was just like, oh, yeah. oh so that's a lot. Um, after, so we tried it six times and nothing took. And then, you know, we were sort of at a crossroad where, you know, we were thinking about what our next step was around the third time we met with the doctors at Boston IVF who were fantastic. They are very nice, very very empathetic. And so you know, they kind of rolled out this um, at we're looking at at least a $20,000 sort of price tag to to try. To
1: try. Right. And Which you mentioned earlier. Like this is
0: no we're guarantee. just try right. no guarantee. Right. So Um, You know, that weighed heavily. And so as we were leaving, the doctor kind of said to us, he said, you know, in the next few months, we're probably going to be involved in a study where this is something you guys would qualify for, and essentially the first round of IVF would be free, and then we would pay the cost. And he's like, we're meeting with them next week. Let me call you back. So he called back, and he said... You know, it's looking like this is going to start in the beginning of the year. The only thing is, is that your BMI is a little too high. And so we figured it out and it was like 10 pounds. And so I was like, but he's like, you know, give us a call in the end of March and we'll see where we are. So I busted ass to lose 10 pounds, you know, right. Right. if so there was a
1: qualify for
0: anything to lose 10 pounds for this was going to be it
1: sure okay
0: and i did and so i called and i'm like this is it you know i lost the weight i this is it i called and i got like the receptionist and she's like very nonchalantly like oh yeah that didn't follow through and that was it and i was just like she definitely didn't understand the gravity of her very nonchalant statement of, yeah, didn't work. And for us, it just sort of sent us spiraling back to, to square one because, you know, we sort of had all our hopes and dreams pinned on this study. And so now we're like, OK, so now what do we do?
1: So you get a fo- it like through a phone call. Right. A simple phone call.
0: Exactly. are pinned
1: on that and, and we're yep. done here. And done. I will
0: say that I don't know if it was just sort of the, the cavalier attitude that she, that she had. And I mean, through no fault of her own. Right. But I've never even called Boston IVF again. Like, I quickly sort of put that at the end of our list and was just like, Let, you know, let's, let's step away from that. You know, through this time, like, a lot of my friends were, so at the same time, my sister announced that she was pregnant. My younger sister, with twins. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was just, and then like two of my coworkers became pregnant, of course. All this time, I was just, you know, we're like, okay, so what's our next? What's our next thing? And so I remember we made an appointment with an adoption agency in Portland, and it was at six o'clock at night. It was after we both got out of work, and we're like, all right, so let's figure this out, and so. I remember the lady answering the door, bawling her eyes out, <laughs> and she had told us that they had just found out that afternoon that the agency had lost all funding and they will be shutting their doors. And we were just like, excuse us? She's like, I'd be happy to explain to you the process of... Then this was private adoption. of private adoption, and she's like, I can definitely give you some resources and recommendations. She's like, but private adoption won't be through us It will, because we're closing our doors.
1: Oh my God. So you literally show up at the appointment and she opens the door crying yes. to give you this information. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I felt bad for her. I felt bad for us because I was like, you know, and so it felt just like another door that slammed in our face. We walked away and we said, okay, you know, let's try three more times IUI. So we tried three more times and back to the doctor
1: and back to the doctor yep Yep.
0: started the original procedure you know which was a few hundred dollars at a time which insurance doesn't cover or anything like that medicine that was you know about a hundred dollars every time we tried it for the shot and so back to the original plan and um tracking and everything like that and so through the course of this i have worked for almost a decade with at-risk families and knew the need for foster care and foster homes and i i would see a kid who would be at our child care center one day and then the next day not and it would be because something happened and he had you know mom lost custody and so many times i was just like gosh i wish i could just take them home and you know, there was kind of a brief moment of pity where I was like, here's all these people having babies and, you know, they can't take care of them. Why can't I, you know, we have a good home. Why can't we have a baby? And so in that moment of pity, my husband and I decided to become licensed foster parent, uh, become a licensed foster home. And so in the state of Maine, that requires a, I think it's an 18-hour course. It was four Saturdays and a home study that they do so we went through that and we finished up our licensing in let's see we finished in March of last year of 2016 immediately got a phone call like the day we walked out of class we got a phone call for for kids I mean that's how desperate the need is and we were still a little gun shy, so so we were like, "Okay, and
1: give us a minute, yeah,
0: so we had we also had a pretty big trip to Portugal planned in April, and you know, had made the determination that we're not going to take any placement until at least after we come back. So that way, you know, we won't have to worry about a child coming into our home and then having to find yeah. some place for her to go for a week and So we discovered, so we're like, okay, when we come back from Portugal, we will take the phone calls and we'll, we'll, you know, start the process. process. And so I remember the morning we were leaving for Portugal, I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. What? Yes. (laughs) So this huge Portugal trip, which was basically built around drinking and Cave exploring and everything like that, and we were also going with we were going with a really close friend of ours and seven strangers. That I immediately had to tell them in the airport that I was pregnant because you know I was, was the a only trip. one not drinking. Yeah, yeah. So we we left. We were still kind of in complete disbelief, and you know, like the doctor had said, though there was never any reason. Why I couldn't get pregnant, and they were, you know, the fact is is that I was pregnant, so that was kind of end game. Right,
1: right.
0: Yeah. So we came back and had our first doctor's appointment, and everything looked good. They, you know, I was right around uh, like seven or eight weeks, when we came back, and we were excited, and the doctor, you know, and so we were kind of under the superstition about let's not tell anybody. Should we tell yes. anybody? But We had been pretty vocal about, you know, us trying to get pregnant and... um, Through this whole process. Through this whole process, you know... So, like, your
1: friends, your family, they all know what's happening.
0: Right, right. They didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to talk about it. And so...
1: That was one of the things to to sort of pause here. That was one of the things we talked about earlier is that what was interesting about this process for you that you realized is that no one knew what to say to you right. about this, right? Right. Because they feel bad. Right. And so you're, you want to talk about and process this. I'm a talker. <laughs> and you said you felt like no one wanted to say anything about this. Yeah.
0: You know, so many people, the one thing that I learned through the process is that there are so many people who are in the same boat as me. But nobody knows it because nobody says anything about it. And they're ashamed. And I understand, you know, getting pregnant is supposed to be the most natural thing for a woman in the entire world. Right. And But for so many people, it's not. Right. And, you know, when that happens, people don't know what to say.
1: And I think there's shame around it, like you said. There's Absolutely. There's this idea that... You're broken. There's all the judgment from yourself, from those around you, and so again, you know, every story that I talk to someone about, somehow there's judgment and shame attached to it. And I don't even when before you said it, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Of course there would be. Yeah, because this is what defines you as a woman, and you want to start a family, and
0: right. And you know, everyone's first question if they ask a question is you know is it you or your husband and so then you know you immediately right so you immediately own that that you know that it's you that it's something wrong with you and you know i i remember there being a time where i looked back and was like is this because i never pictured myself pregnant that i never imagined myself pregnant i had all these horror stories of labors and emergency c sections that maybe somehow karma was like, well, fine, then you're right. not even going to have that option. And so... Because you are
1: grasping at straws, I think, at a certain point you're trying to figure out what, what went wrong or you what You need going some on.
0: justification because the doctors can't tell you why it's not happening. Right. And there's nothing blatantly obvious on why it's not happening. And so you need to find something to say, okay, this is the reason why. And so you could... Tell somebody it's because I never wanted to. I never pictured myself pregnant. That's right. why I can't get pregnant. Right, right. You know, and it's absurd. It's right. crazy. But but when you're in
1: that when you're in that headspace and you're in the middle of it, yeah, I can totally see that being like, I brought this on myself.
0: Absolutely, and and whether it's something everybody does, but it's definitely something that I did. Right, and so so I. You know so we found ourselves pregnant and where we wanted to be so about two weeks later I noticed some spotting and went into the doctor and you know had noticed some spotting before called the doctor the doctor was like no it's fine that's normal you know you're probably you're right at where you should be and So went back in, didn't even tell my husband, like my husband was like, do you want me to come with you? And I'm like, no, like, I'm just going to run in and it'll be fine. And, you know, the only thing I remember with any. Precision clarity around that time was the um, the ultrasound tech sort of looking and looking and I could see it immediately, you know, and
1: from you could see it on the tech
0: so I could see it from her face but I could also see it on the the screen screen. that there was no heartbeat and that's the last thing I remember anyone saying to me at that appointment was that there's I'm sorry there's no heartbeat and they said a bunch of stuff after and they gave me a bunch of options after I couldn't tell you what it was Um, I just remember getting to the car and calling my husband and saying, this wasn't our baby. So we sort of, you know, wallowed in that loss for a little while. Um, and, but meanwhile, the people at DHHS remembered that we were back from Portugal. <laughs> and so I was
1: just going to say, so are they still calling so you? So they
0: started calling us again. You know, I remember being at work and... We received a call and you know they were like we're just looking for somebody for the summer and i was thinking that it'd be a really good way to sort of get into foster care to know that it's not going to be a permanent placement and that here's a child that needs help even if it's just for a little while and you know we by the time we had called back that child had already been placed but i remember sitting at my desk it was a Thursday before I was getting ready to go on vacation, June 30th and of last year, 2016. And I remember getting a phone call and they said, we have a need for an replacement. Um, he's with a family member right now. He's six months. He's been in care for four months. We're waiting to see if there's any other family members who step forward. Would you be interested? And I said let me call you right back I called my husband we talked he called the placement marker asked some questions and then we immediately we said yes and so the placement worker said okay great I'll call you back and she never called back so all day at work I was just like okay so maybe a family member stepped in maybe you know something happened and they don't need us but you know, we got over our fear of saying no, which is huge. And so my husband called me as I was walking out to, out of work and said, we need to go down to the department and pick pick the baby up. And I was like, he's like, they just called me and they're waiting for us. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I remember driving down there realizing I never asked If it was a boy or a girl.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's so great. (laughs) I never asked
0: what the name was. Right. Uh, Nothing. I was just like, there's a baby that needs us. And ironically, right around the same time that we lost our baby that Mm. I was carrying, he lost his mom and dad. And so I was like, this is our baby. Like, this is our baby. You know, here we are. Flash forward, you know, a year and two weeks later, we're waiting on finalizing the adoption where he is our baby and will be our baby forever. And looking back, just, you know, there are so many. There there There's so many things that would have taken me in a different direction. And I couldn't imagine. I, I mean, I couldn't. You know, there's times when you think of adoption about will you love a child that's not yours as much? and I it was funny I took a picture out my office window of him this morning and (laughs) sent it to my husband and he he texted me back and he's like creeper I was like I know but I just love this kid so much and it's you can you can totally love a child that you didn't birth as as much as anything
1: yeah
0: so yeah
1: I want to talk to you a little bit about earlier when we were talking you talked about the process, which is I think the process is something that not a lot of us know about, right So you hear, okay, there's this foster system, and you hear you know horror stories horror and how stories, difficult right. it is and all these pieces, and that's why a lot of people don't choose to go through the foster yeah. system um, and there's you know all all the stories there. However, you were talking about how they suggested something specific to you about the family of your son and you decided to do that and you said that other people don't and i want you to talk about what that's about
0: so i've witnessed horror stories of children in foster care and fam on both sides of the foster parent who these cases seem to get dragged out and of the biological parents who do just enough to sort of make it drag out or you know, don't, or can never do enough to get their, to get their child re, reunified. So, because the
1: goal, one of the things that we should state is here in Maine, the law says, you told me this earlier, right. the law says you will, at least in the first year.
0: Yep. For 12 months, that pretty much the only option is reunification. So
1: you're always working toward that. That's always the goal.
0: working towards reunification with the bio, biological family. You know, as a foster parent, and we were talking about this earlier, is that a lot of people hear that and they're afraid that that's going to be, that they're going to get attached to a child and then they're going to be reunited and then they're not going to have a child and they're going to be sad.
1: Of course. Right. Because they're going to be reunited with their biological, biological family, family because that's what they're working toward exactly. in that system.
0: Yeah. And so our caseworker, from who is wonderful, um, you know told us from an early early standpoint about talk to us about building a relationship with the biological parents. We worked at that, and you know we I sent pictures back and forth when he went to visits twice a week and wrote in a notebook that told him what we did on the weekends and how we would go to birthday parties or we'd go you know, here and there, and they would write back. And so it was really nice to have that reciprocal relationship. And very early on, it became they love him. And they still love him. And that, the, you know, they just don't have the resources or the capability of taking care of them. But like any parent, they want the best for him by having that relationship with them. They realized how much we cared for him and how much we loved him. And because of that relationship that we had with them, instead of they had the option to sort of draw out, you know, this process, the determination process that the department started,
1: they could make it because what you were explaining earlier is that if they decided to, they could say, we're not ready to terminate our parental rights. Right. And they can draw this out for years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, just based on the backup in the court system, in the family court system in the state of Maine, is that it's between like seven and 12 months to even get a hearing. And then you're looking at a four-day hearing. And then after that hearing, you are talking about the judge can take up to three months to make their decision. And then the parents have forty-five days to appeal. And then, you know, so you're talking a year and a half, two years to even come to the end of a trial.
1: And this is a trial <clears throat> if the parents do not if the parents do not give up their parental rights, then it goes to trial. And right. you're saying, We want to adopt this child and here's our reasons. And you're going up against the parents. Right. right. Whereas in your situation, because You formed a relationship with his biological parents. They, like you said earlier, they saw how much you loved him. Yeah. And they decided to give up their rights to you.
0: Right, right. That they, you know, in what I call the most selfless act and don't know if I could do that. You know, somebody who has the means and has the capability of taking care of a child to say, no, this My child's better off with somebody else. You know, it's heartbreaking. I sat in the courtroom when they both stood up and, you know, testified in front of the judge that they are really happy where where he is. And they um, really love my husband and I for taking such good care of him. And I was a mess because, you know, for somebody to there's no greater trust than for somebody to. Completely relinquish trust of their child to somebody else.
1: Oh, yeah. I and, can't even I I know, picture that. I'm yeah. like, oh my
0: God. So, it, you know, and the judge tells them that, you know, after this, you realize that you will have no say in anything anymore. And just the gravity of being in the courtroom and for them to stand up and to say, no, like we, we want him to stay where he is, even though, you know, the judge said there's no guarantee, but
1: it's not final, it's not
0: finalized. So, um, so at that
1: time he was saying there was no guarantee that
0: he was going to stay with us, but you know, uh, and they have no say where he goes if he doesn't stay with us. Um, but to have them both stand up separately and say, You know we are really happy where he is and we want him to stay where he is and we really want them to uh, to adopt him and you know hearing that that somebody had that we've built a relationship strong enough with them that they they believe that we can take care of their child you know it's just hearing that you know the rest is we're kind of in the paperwork and wait stage now Um, but since that day it was just um, it was just unbelievable so
1: and one of the things that you also told me throughout this process is that you you stay in touch yeah and you have periodic visits and as long as they stay in a place where they're safe right you're gonna allow that
0: yeah you know there's never there's never any question what we're gonna tell our son about being adopted and the process. And we still email with um, his bio mom and grandmother and aunt. And we still have visits with mom about once a month. She lives in a different state now and makes her way back to Maine. And we usually meet up at a playground or something. And, you know, I email her pictures and the full intent is that as long as it's a positive experience for her, for us, but more yeah. importantly for our son, that we, there's no reason to ever for those to ever stop. So,
1: one of the things that I loved that you said earlier, let's see if we can find it again about having less people. In the- oh yeah,
0: it, it, there's never you know nobody ever said it having what was it? More people to love a child is a bad thing. Right? <laughs> that That's just crazy. Why wouldn't you want more people around to adore your child? So, and she's very respectful. She knows that, you know, we call each other his mom and dad. And, you know, she has asked what we want, you know, him to refer her to as, and I mean, he's young, he's 18 months, he, he doesn't understand it yet. But, someday he will and someday he'll he'll get it and hopefully you know she sticks around for that long you know one of the things you fear is that that she's gonna have a new life and maybe a new child and a new relationship and move on Mm -hmm. and might not that interest might not be there anymore but I I hope so I hope that we can keep this really nice and um everything like that and and so you know, as much as she had trusted us with her son, I also talked, you know, about foster care, about people afraid that the reunification is going to happen, but also because of that relationship relationship that we built with the biological family, that quickly that fear in love for the child is you just wants, want you know you want what's best for him. I'm not one to say just because I can do it. Differently doesn't mean I can do it better, but you know, if they could, if they were able to come together and have a safe, stable, loving home for him, you know, there would be no greater joy than having their child in that, even if that meant not with us.
1: Yeah, that was one of the other things that you said that I was like, oh, yeah, that's when you know true love,
0: right? Right, yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. if they could do that, right, you said. I think I could have handled it.
0: Yeah. As hard as that would have been. As hard as it would have been. You loved him
1: so much that you were like, if his parents had had changed and wanted him and that had worked, you could have, you would have been okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's hard to say because I would have never thought going into the situation that I would have been okay with it. Right. (laughs) Um, Because when you hear it, you're like, absolutely. That's horrifying. What are you talking about? But being in that situation and seeing the love that they have for him. And I say have because they still love him. Yeah. And, you know, she will always be his mom. Yeah. And seeing that love, you know, of course you would want someone to be a part of that. And, you know, you, you wish that it, you know, in some ways that it could have, you know, worked out for them. Because they are really wonderful, sweet people. And, you know, you feel bad that this has happened to them, that they are, uh, you know, they are sort of a victim of circumstance, of the environment, of their, you know, history or, or whatnot, and that that's the reason why they can't have their son. You know, it's definitely, it's not like a, oh, they loss our gain type thing, that it's definitely this, you know, wonderful, intricate, woven relationship that I get to have. And You know, I would have not even starting off. I I would think that, you know, my gut reaction was like, I, as soon as the adoption's final, I don't want anything to do with bio parents. And, you know, that's not the case at all. That was one of the (laughs) things
1: I was going to ask you about advice for other people that are going, that are thinking about this or that are in the middle of it or going through it. And that was one of the things that I thought of when you were talking. That, yeah, when you first started this process, (laughs) you would never have imagined yourself saying. Oh yeah, no, I totally want them to be part of yes, his life, and yeah. I'm not worried about it, and we have a great relationship. Right. Um. So yeah, tell me, what advice would you give other people? I mean, obviously that piece is huge. Yeah. But what other pieces? Well, I think that for the
0: most part, people say, "Yeah, we want to have a we want a relationship," and they'll they'll say that because it sounds really good. It sounds On paper. like yeah, it sounds like you're being a really stand up person where deep down you're like oh like that just sounds sticky you know but until you can form that relationship and and so my advice would be to just sort of don't have any expectations going into it just you know think of this as a relationship with everyone with the bio parents with the grandparents with with you with the child and that Know that whatever comes of it, you can resent these people and be really angry at them. But then if it gets reunified, then you're really angry at somebody who now has this child that you love. And that doesn't feel very good. But and then if you end up adopting the child, like I said, there's nobody ever said that this child has too many people loving it. You know what I mean? So it's a win win situation if you just build this relationship. And I know that there are some circumstances where that's not possible or it's not safe. On the instances that it is safe and it's doable, and so why why not? Why wouldn't I have that really a positive relationship in his life?
1: Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> that's so awesome. Any other thoughts on, I mean, obviously for you, the, this bigger story is ended in a beautiful way. Yes, <laughs> and I know that when we talked initially, you were like, "This was my baby. I was right. supposed to have this baby." And yeah, it, it took all these other disappointments along the way. Yeah, and all these, all this sadness for this ch- long chunk of time for you. Um. Again, advice for other women <laughs> out there who are going through yeah. this and don't know where they're going to end up. I mean, I think that's the hard piece. Right you know, once you get to a place like this in your life and you're able to look back and you think, wow, well, you know, I yeah. went through all of this, but right. here I am. What, what sort of advice would you give to women who are in that sad place of like yeah. not knowing what to do and feeling hopeless and right. not able to get pregnant and not knowing which direction to go? Like what helped you during that time?
0: You know, at any point during my journey, one little thing could have changed and I would have been in a completely different place. You know, I could have carried that child to term and I wouldn't have had my son today. I could have given up and just not had a child. Um, We could have taken the summer-only placement and missed out on this placement of our son. There's so many opportunities where we're like, but if we did this, then this wouldn't happen. And so undoubtedly life is sort of a complicated maze, that labyrinth that when you hit a dead end, you just go another direction and nobody's labyrinth is the same. And so I really feel that if there's somebody who's just in the middle of it and what I found is that (laughs) Weirdly, I would talk about it to people who just would, and it would make them feel really uncomfortable because they wouldn't expect me to want to talk about my journey. Right. Um, I started doing stand-up comedy kind of like here and there. And like one of my open and joke was when I got on the stage was, well, I'm barren. And everybody was like, should we laugh at that? Should we not laugh at that? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, you know, and so I would just say that you can't expect for your, you know, to say this is how it's going to happen because you never know. And that there are so many ways to get there. There's adoption, there's surrogacy, there's, you know, biological. There's so many ways to have an end game. There's being a really cool aunt if you don't decide not to have children. You know, there's so many ways. To, to get to your end goal, to not get hung up so much on the process as much as the final destination. And so...
1: I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. It's so awesome to hear you say that. I think that so often what I've heard from other women in all kinds of stories is just that. Like when you set up yourself for an expectation... versus enjoying the journey or staying open. One of the things that I was thinking as you were talking, like you stayed open through this whole process, or you had to. I mean, doors kept shutting, so you had to be like, all right, right. I'm going to try this next thing. I'm going to be open to this. And you ended up in such a beautiful place.
0: I couldn't imagine my life any other way right now. I, I just couldn't imagine if any of those other doors hadn't closed I, I couldn't imagine not being in this place with my son where we are.
1: Thank you for sharing it.
0: Yes, I'm so glad. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been great.
1: Thank you for listening. As an update, I wanted to let you know that the adoption of her son was finalized about two weeks ago, and there was a very large party to celebrate. She and her husband... And her son are a family now officially. To check out the portraits from Michelle's session with me you can head over to the blog on jendeanphotography.com as well. If you or anyone you know have a story that you feel compelled to share I would love to know about it. My website jendeanphotography.com has all kinds of information about the Gardenia project. There's a page for FAQs and a contact form as well. Thank you again to Keith Kenneth for his amazing theme music, and I'll be back soon.